Hello and welcome to another episode of Journey to the Rise. I'm your host, Lucretia. In today's episode, we welcome a man who is a musician who found another way to be successful in the music business beyond playing gigs. How many of us were in band or played music growing up and wanted to do more with music beyond what the school offered? Often we think the only way into the music industry is as a player or a performer. What is missed is the music business is a business. There are endless career opportunities within the music business. A lot of the time when it comes to those careers, we think of music producers or someone who works in the recording studio. But what we don't recognize is there are incredible opportunities within a music store. From marketing to sales, instrument repairs to becoming a vice president and eventually an owner of a music store. That is the direction our guest went with his career and it happened in such an organic way for him. This talented and successful man gives us an in-depth outlook on not just his career path, but the life that took him through a lot of hardship and pain. For someone who's incredibly jovial and kind, there is a man who put in the hard work and effort to create the life he has for himself today. So let's not wait any longer to hear how this man's life was orchestrated. Please welcome my guest, Donovan Bankhead. We all have a favorite song that takes us back to a memory, and today we get to deep dive not into just a musician's life, but the business side of music. This man is generous, kind, alone, talented, and very successful. His lively demeanor inspires others in ways he probably doesn't even know, and we get to talk to him today. Donovan, thank you so much for being here today. Oh my, I mean, I, no, no joke. That that's, that's, yeah, that's very sweet. Thank you, Lucretia. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. It's, it's absolutely Such true. Such a nice thing to say about someone. What a way to start. <laughs> this is great. I got it. All right. Now I have to live up to all that. Okay. Here you, we go. You already live best. up to all that just being you. <laughs> trust me. Where did you grow up? Oh gosh. <laughs> so, uh, the, yeah, that's part of my origin story, I guess. So, uh, First question, we're going to already go off on a rabbit trail. I moved 13 times from the time I started elementary or kindergarten till the time I graduated high school. And um, and I'm not a military family, which is what everybody always asks. Um, so, but basically just uh, uh, born in Dallas and then uh, due to jobs and divorce and just the challenges of life, just kind of bounced back and forth between Texas and Oklahoma uh, kind of boomeranging back between each location and uh, but really spent most of my so born in Texas but spent most of my formulative years I guess growing up in uh, Oklahoma and specifically in and around the Tulsa area uh, so and yeah and then kind of lived there until I graduated after college graduated there uh, lived there a couple of years and then moved to Missouri so um, wow. so yeah Texas Oklahoma Dang, that's a lot. I think lot. to some degree I'm still growing up, so. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah, I think we should yeah, all exactly. kind of carry that with us forward into adulthood. We don't have to stop being plain and, yeah, absolutely. So if, with If all we're not these... maturing, if we're not developing and we're not learning throughout our entire lives, then what yes, are we doing, you know? Exactly. And throw so, some play in there too. Anyway. Have some fun and play like a kid. Heck yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. with you moving all this in this transition, like, was there anything within your family or childhood that kind of shaped you for who you are today? Oh, gosh, of course. Absolutely. Uh, I, well, first of all, everything shapes who you are today, right? So all the good or bad, 
all those things impact who you are as a person, how you respond to things. Uh, I've had enough therapy to kind of make me believe that to know that's true. Um, I had, you know, pr more good than bad. Um, so while my parents did get divorced when I was really young and they had a hard time getting along at all, um, they were both very unique and wonderful people. Uh, and they both, uh, while they maybe couldn't really stand each other, uh, they both loved me dearly and they both gave me really great gifts. So um, my mother had this kind of Pollyanna optimist spirit about her. Um, she was very, very accepting of people. Uh, I remember her, her telling me, I used to be very kind of judgmental because my dad could be very judgmental. But I remember her telling me once that she would be friends with anyone as long as they were interesting. And that's just kind of her. She had a love for life. She loved food. She loved travel. Um, she loved people. She loved music like uh, and, and was a great cook. And she just she was just one of those people that was just ex very exciting and people loved being around her. And so I kind of was able to pick up sort of that energy and that charisma that she had. And then my dad uh, had a great mind for business. Uh, he he also was charismatic. He could be he could be very intense with people and with relationships in a, in a positive way. Um, and uh, but my dad also was very giving about his failures in life. And my dad uh, died in 2005. He died alone on a city bus in Tulsa uh, oh, with wow. barely a pot to piss in. And um, my whole time growing up, he always told me, like, son, if you want to end up like I ended up, just do the things I did. And which is very humbling advice for a father to give. A son, shit, sorry. <laughs> I'm not okay. only this emotional. It's, it's got to be this time of year. Uh, but um, very, you know, for a father to give that advice to a son, that's yeah. uh, a hard thing to say. Like, if you want to end up because he really viewed himself as, as a failure. And I think, honestly, by many measures, he probably was. I mean, as a father, I think he was fantastic. But when you when you die without friends, without money, with without anyone around you, um, like that's that's really sad. Especially for a guy that you know really had the tools uh, to be successful, but he was always looking to kind of get rich quick and looking for the easy way to success, and had a hard time never learned really to humble himself until he became humbled in the end, which is really sad. Um, but a tremendous gift that he gave me and that, and that confidence. And he had just a belief in me at a time when I definitely didn't have it. I think moving so much made me really shy. And mm -hmm. um, which when people know me today, they find it hard to believe that I used to be shy, but I was horribly, horribly shy uh, my, really my entire life and had a hard time making friends and that moving around made it just difficult for me socially. Um, but I had those gifts from my parents in terms of like internal optimism, strong work ethic, you know, some create some creativity, uh, perseverance. I mean, my perseverance is, is probably the thing that sets me apart. Um, but like those things were kind of like driven in me to, to be able to be successful. And um, I think more than anything, you know, getting into music was the music was the only thing that I'd ever been involved in through my school age that I 
had any kind of ex uh, excellence for. Um, I wasn't athletic. I've always been like, you know, the, the chubby, uh, overweight kid. Um, and I wasn't like particularly smart. Like I wasn't a bad student, but I wasn't like, you know, straight A student or anything like that. Um, so that was kind of a struggle, but playing the trumpet in sixth grade, and I was so fortunate to have such amazing band directors like that. Even, even though I moved a bunch, the worst director I had in hindsight was honestly still a pretty good band director. And I had mostly great band directors, but, uh, you know, I could play the trumpet pretty well, um, better than my peers. And that kind of gave me like a source of confidence and inspiration and, and ultimately a social network. Cause I think band is like, you know, one of the original social networks, you know, <laughs> and, um, so that experience, I think, was was hugely beneficial as well. Uh, but yeah, parent, my parents definitely, without a doubt, they've both passed now, uh, unfortunately, and I I miss them both. But uh, gosh, they just you know they believed in me, loved me, and supported me. Which gosh, what else could you ask for? Right, that's incredible. And so when you start playing the trumpet, they were what... broke. They right. were <laughs> they were broke. I was just thinking, what else could you ask for? Well, you could ask for money. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, that does they make could have been also a little financially easier. successful. Right. Yeah, that would have helped. Uh, uh, but they didn't have that. But, you know, what they did have, they gave. So anyway, right. sorry, go on with right. your question. No, don't be sorry at all. No, and that's a great lesson for us to take away, right? Like, they were excellent. Yes, it'd be helpful if there was a little bit more money, you know, so that struggle wasn't there. And the life lessons that they've implemented in you and how you've carried it forward. I mean, that's that's a true gift right there. It is. It is. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have more from our guest, Donovan, as he shares with us how he began to gain an interest in playing an instrument. And I think maybe like a semester, she joined the school band playing flute. And she brought the flute home. And I remember looking at that and just thinking that it looked beautiful, like it's silver and it had all this. And again, I'm still around seven years old or whatever, had this intricate key work. Like I, there's just something about it. Like I thought was really captivating. Uh, I couldn't make a sound on it or anything like that, but I just thought, wow, that's really neat. Have you noticed more and more people are dropping from social media? They're tired of being blasted by ads, by the nastiness that can be carried on endlessly with comments accounts being blocked or deleted for no reason at all, and the reasons for people leaving and spending less time on these platforms continues. If you're only promoting and marketing your business on social media, this is not the best way to navigate your way to a successful business. But don't worry, I have good news. There is a way to reach your target audience. It's by email. Yes, email. Email marketing is not dead. It is alive and well. Businesses utilizing a smart email marketing strategy can increase sales and deliver a message that will be more reliably received than depending upon an algorithm that continues to change. If you want to know more about how to grow your business with an email marketing strategy, go to girlbosscopywriter.com to find out more. Welcome back to Journey to the Rise. We're going to continue our conversation with Donovan, and he shares with us how college and pursuing a career was never something he thought about, and the moment his life changed its trajectory. And so you start playing the trumpet. What was the inspiration or the influence that made you want to start playing an instrument? 
Oh gosh. Oh, okay. Okay. Shit. Okay. I'm going to end up crying again, probably. So, um, my, uh, I have, I have three siblings and, and they're all like half siblings to me. And, but the sister that's closest in age to me is seven years old. And, um, she, <laughs> she just passed away. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. in the last two weeks and I didn't even know she was ill. <sighs> okay. Hold it together here, Bankhead. Okay. You're uh, doing just so fine. She, um, uh, she brought home a, 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 she got a guitar, an acoustic guitar once. Uh, and I was probably seven, right around there, six or seven. And I remember being like, well, that's, that's interesting. Like, um, that, I thought it was kind of neat. And, um, noodled around with a little bit but never could kind of figure it out but thought it was interesting and then for a hot minute I think maybe like a semester she joined the school band playing flute and she brought the flute home and I remember looking at that and just thinking that it looked beautiful like it's silver and it had all this and again I'm still around seven years old or whatever had this intricate key work like there's just something about it like I thought was really captivating uh, I couldn't make a sound on it or anything like that, but I just thought, wow, that's really neat. And so when the opportunity came to join band at uh, the school I was going to at that time, uh, you know, they did the dog and pony show of like showing the various instruments. And I think we had, if I remember right, we had like one of those old school uh, slide projector things and they they would put the clear slide on and here's what a trumpet looks like. And then they had audio recordings of the stuff. And of course we get to drums and I'm like, oh yeah, like I'm this is like mid eighties, you know, beginning of like the hair metal era. I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I want to be, I'm going to play drums. And I'd say, I'm in a small school in rural Oklahoma and they raise their, like, raise your hand if you want to play the drums. Well, me and like every boy raises their hand. Right. <laughs> and there's just been something about me that I don't like to go with the masses. I don't know why it's just kind of always been that way from the beginning. So my hands up and I look around, I see all the other boys have their hands raised. And then I just, kind of drop it, you know, like, uh, I don't, th- I don't want to do that. If everyone else is doing that, I don't want to do that. And it's not because I wanted to be different or unique. I don't even know what it was. I just, I just don't want to, I just didn't want to be a part of the big group like that. And um, so they went through, through some other instruments and then they went to the trumpet and they did the sound file, of the trumpet, who liked to play the trumpet. I thought, well, that actually sounds kind of fun. Like I, I like, so raise my hand for that. And it was me and two other kids raised their hands. Cause like I said, it was a very small school. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this will be cool. And um, I didn't have any idea that I was good at the trumpet until at the end of that sixth grade year for the concert, I'm given the solo. Um, now, remember, that I'm given the trumpet solo for, for the solo for green sleeves. Uh, and that just means I was the best player out of the three of us. So, you know, <laughs> that's, not, that's uh, so cool. Though. But, and so I, then I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, OK, that's neat. And then I was uh, asked to join the middle school jazz band the following year, which uh, they didn't usually you know, bring in seventh graders, uh, nor, you know, not very often. It was seventh, you had to be invited at seventh grade to join. And uh, jazz was amazing to me. I remember being so thoroughly confused. I had no idea what was going on. Um, the notes all had a weird font that they were written in. It didn't look like the rest of our band music that we played. <laughs> Uh, everybody was playing the music in a way that was different. Like the eighth notes didn't line up the way they normally did. Like I just, it was a mystery. I couldn't figure that one out. Uh, but yeah, so I started, started doing that, uh, playing in band that way. It was just so fortunate to have, like I said, great band directors. So um, 
my second grade in band, a year in band, my band director was a man named Yule Hanna, who was also a trumpet player. And Mr. Hanna would do something where uh, during the winter months, um, during recess, uh, he you could come into the band room during lunch and he would play recordings for you. And so I remember he was like, hey, if you come in today during lunch, uh, I'm going to play Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. And this recording is famous because it features live cannons at the end. And I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to hear live cannons, you know, like yeah. I want to, I'll do that. So I came in to hear that. And then he brought in, uh, all right, today we're going to listen to one of the, the greatest swing bands of all time called Count Basie. And I'm like, okay, I'll come listen to that. And so I got into listening to that stuff. And then because I was so patently uncool <laughs> as a middle school kid, uh, like I loved that music. And so while everybody else was listening to, you know, gosh, whatever was popular in 1986 and 87, um, I was mainly listening to like Count Basie, Glenn Miller, Tommy Dorsey, like I, and uh, we were too poor. To, I didn't have like a Walkman or anything, but my dad had had one of those old school large tape recorders that like dictation tape recorder machine things. <laughs> and I would just listen to that. It had like a singer, single mono speaker. And I would just take that with me, like on my bike or whatever, and just listen to this music, you know, cause I just loved it. So wow. anyway, this is a really long origin story. I'm very sorry, but that's how <laughs> no, I got into great. playing the trumpet. So, yeah. uh, and got it kind of got hooked into music that way. Wow. And so did you stick with the trumpet all the way through like school, like into high school? I I play the trumpet today. I mean, I've, you know, I've wow. got a gig tonight. Um, uh, so, so yeah, cool. I played all the way through high school. It was fortunate, um, to, uh, ended up going to Tulsa union high school, which has a great music department, great music program, well-funded, got to travel and do a lot of things. There has a great reputation. Um, and so played there and, and was the first chair trumpet there. Um, and I uh, really enjoyed that. And then that experience led, you know, to be able to go to college and I'm uh, playing in college at the University of Tulsa, which that, you know, is kind of funny the way that turned out. Um, but and I know one of your questions you were going to ask about how TU came about. So the thing with with college was um, so when I graduated high school, um, I had moved in with my dad in high school. Uh, both my parents lived in Tulsa. And I just really felt like my dad needed me. He was going through kind of a, you know, it just seemed lonely. And, and at that point, you know, I'm high school age, I kind of felt like I should be around my dad more. So I moved in with my dad, but then my dad had been selling life insurance and had, um, I think essentially he committed insurance fraud. <laughs> oh, no. And uh, so he lost his all of his income, all of his residuals. And we got evicted out of the apartment that we were living in. And he had this lifelong best friend um, who uh, his his friend's daughter had just moved out of her house and gotten this apartment. And this poor girl, um, she grew up in a family. I think they had like seven brothers and sisters, like never had her own room, never had placed herself. She'd been in this apartment for like a week. And... Um, we had no place to go. And so my dad asked her, can we stay over the weekend? And then we'll be out by Monday. And two years later, we're still living with oh. this poor girl oh, on her no. couch. 
and she was a godsend to us. And uh, man, I just don't know what I'd do with, with, without uh, Suzanne having kind of been there for us. Um, but anyway, so we didn't have a pot to piss in and no money. Graduated high school. I didn't. I was working a couple of part-time meaningless jobs, a temp job, and then working at two different gas stations, um, and just you know trying to just live. And in August, my dad came in and he was like, "Hey, we need to go sign you up for classes at University of Tulsa, which is a, a private college in Tulsa." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> With, with what money are we, am I going to see <laughs> you with? And he was like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. They have grants and loans and stuff. And I'm like, okay. And um, so I'm just sort of kind of incredulous about this whole experience. And uh, TU had a, you know, a rigorous academic institution. And I did okay on my ACT score. I got really lucky. So I scored pretty well on like um, – math and whatever uh, the comprehension whatever the other thing was but the science one i had no zero comprehension of any of the science stuff this was just i told you earlier about how luck plays a role i think in our success this just is another example so literally i'm reading a few of the science questions don't understand anything about it and when i tell you that i just randomly circled the answers <laughs> without any educated guess, whatever. I'm not, that's not hyperbole. Yeah. I stopped reading the questions, randomly just selected answers on the science portion of the ACT and got a 21 on the science portion what? of the ACT. <laughs> a 21 on the thing that I just guessed out of without even, <laughs> didn't even read the questions. Wow. And then my other scores were higher. So the cumulative score was high enough to get into TU. And, uh, they, because of our uh, uh, extremely low income status of having zero income, I did qualify for grants. Uh, crazy enough, the government gave my dad parent loans, which is insane. <laughs> a, a man who has no job, no income. And then I had student loans. And uh, my first year, I was an accounting major, but uh, was playing trumpet in, the, in some of the ensembles. And then uh, the next year, the trumpet soloist had graduated at the end of my freshman year, and they, they wanted someone to kind of be the next trumpet soloist for like the marching band, jazz band, stuff like that. Uh, and so the uh, head of the music department said, hey, would you, if you'll switch over to be a music major, we'll pay for all of your classes. So we'll give you a full academic scholarship if you do music. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Like, I love music. That's what I want to do anyways. I was yeah. just doing accounting because it seemed like the smarter choice. And um, so that that paid for an education and, and uh, well, <laughs> My dad, again, not being necessarily the smartest guy when it came to money, encouraged me to max out my student loans because the interest was deferred. No. And so like a dummy, even though I had uh, a paid for education, I maxed out my student loans to live on and stuff. So even though the tuition was paid for, I graduated with like, you know, $50,000 in, <laughs> in the 90s, you know, so that was dumb. Right. Anyway, that's how TU came about. And uh, uh, made lots of friends there, playing the trumpet there. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that's, yeah, that's how that started. So you didn't even have like your sights on and I met my college. wife there. Oh, yeah. nice. No, well, I just didn't see how that would even be a possible thing. Sure. I did College to me was not a thing that uh, people like myself went to. No one in my family had ever gone to college. Um, I had no idea how I'd pay for classes. I had no idea how I would live. That just seemed like, I mean, like, and I'm living on someone's couch. It just didn't, 
you know, and this is, again, you have to remember, this is really pre-internet. So one can't even Google like this. You, you can't go to Facebook and ask people. You can't go to Reddit. You can't Google this. You can't use, ask chat GPT. How can poor people go to college? Like there, <laughs> there wasn't any of that. So I just had no idea of how to do it. Um, right. And, you know, it just my dad coming in that day saying I, that's what I'm doing. And we had never discussed it. So it was the oddest thing that he wow. you know, said that. But thank God he did because I, I met my wife in college and we're both musicians. And we met on the, the uh, I call it the marching band field. Probably most people call it the football field. Um, <laughs> and uh, we met that way. And uh, I immediately turned her off and she didn't like me, which, man, that made her right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> made her more attractive oh, an attractive woman that doesn't like me like oh man i really like her you know <laughs> we, we call that stalking now but back then it was you know but anyway so we met there and we just celebrated 26 years being married so Amazing. um yeah we have a great time together awesome and was it during college get us back that... on track lucretia <laughs> we're good we're doing just fine so was it during college that gave you the experience to learn how to play multiple instruments as a music major a little bit so um but really uh in um middle school uh the movie back to the future came out and um that scene at the end where Michael J. Fox's character, Marty McFly, plays Johnny Be Good, and everyone in the audience is just standing looking at him like, what was that? But then uh, um, the, other, the other guy calls, is it, was it Chuck Berry? Did he call Chuck Berry? I think he called Chuck Berry. He's like, you got to hear this. And like that scene just spoke to me. Like I just thought, oh, that's the coolest thing, and I wanted to play guitar. And so I begged my mom for a guitar, and she was somehow able to get me one for Christmas. And so I started playing guitar a little bit and was taking some lessons and stuff like that. Um, but then I started, and so I kind of dabbled in guitar all through college. And then when, after I graduated college, I had been working in a music store and was leaving that store to go to another job. Um, and I had had a bunch of like personal gear in the store. Like I had a a stereo system that we were using for like music in the store. I had a computer we were using and a bunch of other stuff. And um, we had a used bass guitar and amplifier in the store. I said, Hey, you can keep all of the stuff that you guys are using. If I can have that used bass. Oh and I gosh. wanted to play the bass only because it was the only bass we had in the store, but I wanted to play it because a guy came in the store one day during his lunch break and, um, I asked if we had any bass guitars. I was like, we've got that one. He picks it up and plugs it in and starts playing. And he starts playing the bass line from Super Freak, uh, which at that time was more popular from MC Hammer's uh, uh, Can't Touch This. And I remember thinking like, oh, that I had no idea that's a bass guitar. Like, that's so yeah. cool. And then he played another kind of funk thing. And I was like, oh, I love that music. Like, I didn't know that was a bass. So that kind of got me interested in it. And I always felt like bass and trumpet were nice partners because they are totally different. Mm -hmm. You know, one is very difficult, very demanding, unforgiving, um, has the lead, has the melody out in front. And the other is a supportive instrument kind of in the background, like, you know, and they're just polar opposites, which I always kind of enjoyed. Yeah. So 
but so that's mainly what I did, you know, and then through getting a degree in music education, which was what my degree ended up being in, uh, you do get experience with other instruments, but not enough. I could go on. I mean, I could talk an hour about the inadequacies of music education um, uh, at the collegiate level. But, um, you know, we had you'd have a semester on woodwinds. So, you know, you'd play a little bit there in a semester on brass, semester on percussion, uh, which was not enough. But I don't really play any of those instruments at a at a professional level, but the trumpet and the bass guitar, I, I more or less play at a pro level. So would you say you just play two instruments or how many instruments can you play? I mean, can I play? It depends on what you mean by can. So <laughs> like I can play the trombone, like uh, I can make sounds on most instruments, but like if like in terms of you want me to come play for a gig that you're hiring me for, bass guitar and, and trumpet. Gotcha. That people people pay me money to play that, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can play the guitar. I can play maybe a couple of other things, but uh, probably not for pay. Mm -hmm. Maybe the guitar I could, but anyway. <laughs> but, yeah. And what do you love about playing music? Oh my gosh! Okay, this reserve the next hour because that's what we're <laughs> going to talk about. Okay, I'll, I'll, I will cut that down to the cliff notes. Uh, okay. Um, for one thing, let's talk about just some of the esoteric stuff. So playing music definitely like connects you to thoughts and feelings that you have in yourself and puts sounds to that. So it's kind of like putting sounds to colors. So I love that. Um, it's also, it connects us to other people in two different ways. So it connects us to our audience. So our audience who's listening, we there's a connection, and, and that connection can ex expand now can essentially extend for eternity uh, because of our recording technology. When we listen to an artist who's recorded something in the past, even if that artist is no longer with us, we feel a connection to them. And uh, and live music, especially we, if you, if any of us who've been to good live music performances, we feel a connection with the ensemble. And as a performer, I can tell you, dude, when when that connection's on, the performer can feel that connection with the audience, and that's really meaningful and deep, and and gives you all these endorphins and uh, and excitement and adrenaline. But also, you get connected to the musicians that you're making this music with. It's almost like you guys are on the same Wi-Fi network. And so there's this kind of connection to one another, especially when you're really together and you can kind of think about what's happening next. I was uh, playing a gig last night and uh, it's for uh, uh, the Missouri Jazz Orchestra. And that we kind of we basically sort of sight read at the gig. So we just get a book of hundreds of tunes. Band leader calls them up. We're sight reading these tunes out. And I noticed that when I was trying to just play my music, I wasn't really like fitting with the ensemble. And the minute I stopped trying to play my music and instead tried to play to the guy who was sitting next to me, so not just play my part, but play with him, all of a sudden I started, you know, I started grooving with the ensemble oh, and connecting with cool. the ensemble. And it's just like music's like one of the only, is one of the few things we can do that. I think we can do that like with sports. I think sports gets that too. You see fandom, how fans get really engaged with the athletes and the athletes are in sync with one another and stuff like that. But sports, 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 sports has a <laughs> downside too. Of um, a, you know, uh, you can't do it forever. You know, at right. some point you age out of sports. Your body just can't hold up to do it. Where that never happens with music. And then in sports, there's a winner and a loser. And there really isn't a winner or a loser in, in music. Uh, also in sports, in order to do it, 
especially to do it at a level where someone will come watch you, uh, you have to be one of the best of the best of the best to make it top 1% or more to be able to you know, do sports at a point where someone pays you money to do it. Uh, whereas with music, you don't have to be that good uh, to do it. So I think it's very accepting for that. Um, and then the other thing I love about music is it's challenging. You know, music, no one ever masters it. You can get a master's degree in music and you have not mastered it at all. You will never get to a point where you just feel like, yeah, I've got this, everything about this figured out. I know everything. It's constantly challenging. It's, I'm always, it's, I have something that I'm always working towards. That's also one of the things that's kind of frustrating about it is because playing, chasing a musical, musical instrument is kind of like chasing the horizon. You just feel like you never actually get there. You never get to your destination because you keep moving the goalposts. You know, mm-hmm. you always think like, oh, I, if I could get to this level, I'll be so happy. No, you won't because you'll get to that level. But all along, you keep moving the goalposts further ahead of you and further ahead of you. And unless you stop and take a moment to turn around and reflect and see how far you've come, yeah. you just think like you're not making any headway or progress. Mm-hmm. And life can be that way, too. But yeah. I think uh, music is just fantastic for that. So it's super fun. It's very rewarding. It's challenging. It connects you to people. It, it brings in friendships and relationships. It's a lifelong challenge, a lifelong activity you can do. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and I see that with artists like Sam and, Bush with the mandolin and Jake Shimabukuru with the ukulele. Like you, you can go to a, a you know one of Jake's gigs and it's awesome, and then you go a year later and you're like, wait, he just added more pedals. Like what? He's always pushing the limit with the like he wrote a song based on hearing someone play the mandolin and said, I wonder if I can do that on an ukulele. And he wrote a song like that should be played on a mandolin, but you can play it on it on a uke. Yep. 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 Those types of people are amazing. Now, I don't, I'm not that kind of musician. I'm not like that super creative musician. I've always been into music more from like the, a technician's viewpoint, very curious of how it works. Why does that work? Why do those, I I remember listening again, going back to listening to like uh, Count Basie and stuff. With swing music, there was a really, and at least here in pop music, really in pop music, and remember swing music and jazz was just pop music back in like the 30s and 40s and stuff. Uh, but there was a, there was a, a thing, a, a thing you'll notice sometimes where the melodic note stays the same, but the chord structure underneath it changes. And it makes, it gives the appearance of the melodic note changing, even though it's not. And I remember the song I was listening to, I heard this song hundreds of times, and I was, I was kind of singing the melody along with it. I was realizing, wait a minute, that, I don't, that pitch isn't changing. The melody isn't changing. Well, then why, why does it sound different? And like, I want to know, like, how, why did that happen? You know, how did mm-hmm. that happen? Um, playing the bass guitar, like when I watch someone like Victor Wooten play using like his double thumb technique or any of his just amazing thing. I want to know, like, how do you do that? Like how, how, I love the music he makes, of course, but how, mm-hmm. how does he do that? Playing the trumpet, like listening to someone like, uh, you know, Maynard Ferguson play those high notes or um, uh, other, other people uh, you know, maybe play like things that are uh, uh, Rayfield Mendez playing with all the triple tonguing and, and double tonguing. Uh, musically, it's uh, wow, that's neat. But also, how? Like, how? Mm-hmm. How does one do that? And yeah. so, I've always been more, almost more interested in the how than the musical product. Right. Um, I think there's kind of two different mus- musicians for that. There's some that are don't understand how the how works. They just 
make great music. And then there's those of us that are very interested in how the how works. And we're great. We, we can like interpret and read music and perform music, but maybe not necessarily be great creators of it. So yeah, as you're saying that it got me thinking about um, the video by the piano guys where they do the song by one direction on a piano and it's a grand piano, but they've taken the top off and they've used just about every bit of this piano to do this song. Like they have a cello bow that they've disassembled and they're using the string on the metal of the back of the piano. Like, and they're using like what you use to cover the, the keys. They're using that as part of the percussion. Like it's, and I just watched this, yeah. like, I want to, I want to be friends with these men so I can play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's just so yeah weird. people like that are fascinating to me you know I, who mm -hmm. there was someone once was a victor DeBoer. someone had gone up to uh some world famous concert pianist and and a, a lady got up to us like oh i i would give my life to play like how you play the piano and he says ma'am that's exactly what i've done you know uh, and you're right these yes. people like they it takes it's a lifelong quest yeah yeah, yeah. And so after college, how did you end up as a manager at what used to be Tulsa Band, now known as the Tulsa Guitar Company? This is such a cool story. Okay, so I guess everyone thinks their life story is cool, but I just, you know, again, luck. It's just luck. Okay, so um, quick version is uh, in college, working at Best Buy, uh, hurt my back as like a ding-dong. I tried to move one of those old, huge... Uh, TVs back when we had um, this wasn't even the CRT style. This was the kind where they shot the lights up from underneath. I tried to move that by myself and I kind of hurt my back a little bit. And um, Best Buy and their wisdom were like, if you're too dumb to do that, then you're too dumb to work here. So they let me go. And oh, no. uh, so, um, and I'm in college at this point. And I went to pick up my last paycheck. And as I was driving home from that, I was driving by. Tulsa Band, which was the music store that I used to shop at in, when I was in high school. And uh, I thought, you know, I need a bottle of valve oil and I'm just going to stop and just see how the guys are doing. And so I walk in and they remembered me and they're like, hey, Donovan, how are you doing? And I'm like, hey, how's it going? Like, what's, what's new around here? I haven't seen you guys in years. And they're like, oh, you know, kind of same old, same old. Uh, John Thatcher just quit. So we, we got to find uh, someone to take his place. And I was like, you found him. It's this guy right here. And they're like, what? oh, well, I mean, it's really not that great of a job. Like, it's, you know, cleaning toilets, running the vacuum. It's really nothing. I'm like, I, yeah, that sounds awesome. Like, in a music store, sign me up. And they're like, oh, well, we'll think about it. So I think this was like a Thursday. So I call back Friday. And I'm like, hey, so what do you think? And they're like, oh, honestly, we haven't even talked about it. Like, give <laughs> us till Monday. We'll talk about it. We'll talk to you Monday. Like, okay. So I call Monday morning. I'm like, so what's the verdict? And they're like, oh, Jesus. Like, uh, we haven't talked about it yet. Like, <laughs> tell you what, just, you can start next week. Just come in. And I'm like, awesome. So um, I came in and had no idea what I was doing, of course, and uh, didn't know anything really about anything. Uh, but I was super excited to be there. And um, they, they, it was a really small shop back then. It was two repair techs and a manager that was, and me. That was really it. And so the owner and, and the manager and the repair tech, they would go to lunch together every day. And then they would just leave me in the shop by myself. And uh, so I remember like one day they came in and some folks came in to look at trumpets. Thank God it was trumpets because that was the only thing I knew anything about. <laughs> 
and I sold this professional trumpet. And they came back and they're like, hey, uh, where's that Bach Strad? And I was like, sold it. I sold it. And they're like, you sold it? I'm like, yeah, 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 I sold it. And they go, oh, well, cool. Well, this is early. So this is mid 90s. And this is early days for the internet, right? And my lovely bride, who at this point is just my smoking hot girlfriend, uh, she gets me on, well, actually at this point, well, at this point, yeah, she is my girlfriend. So she gets me on the internet and she gets me on this trumpet listserv, which these email listservs in the 90s, they were kind of like Reddit, but for email. And they would create these listservs based on various topics. So, but this one was trumpet. And, uh, and so I was active on there. Well, because I had access to these trumpets, I started like selling trumpets to people who were looking for trumpets through this email thing. And I ended up growing that thing to by the late nineties, we were the largest uh, internet retailer for professional trumpets. And uh, yeah, which is just crazy. Yeah. It's a very, it's very much a niche, right? Very much a niche. Um, But so I was doing that and then, uh, but I was just working there part-time and the owner desperately wanted to fire me because I was in college and uh, if anyone who's ever gone to college for a music degree will understand this. It's not like any other degree where you can take your classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays and be done by noon or whatever. Music degree is five days, actually six days a week if you're uh, a wind musician because you're in marching band. Um, and it's evenings and it's mornings and it's after. So you got morning classes, afternoon rehearsals, evening concerts or ball games, Saturday football games. Like you're just, it's a six day a week commitment. And so I was often unavailable. And the only reason my boss at Tulsa Band, Paul Feldsky, didn't fire me is because he had $150,000 of pro trumpets in stock that nobody could sell other than me. Uh, and when I got, when I started working there, he had about $3,000 for the pro trumpets in stock. But over time with me growing it, we had like all of this inventory. And like, he would tell me, he was like, I want to fire you so bad. And he was serious. Like I'd have to argue with him for my paycheck every two weeks. And he was like, but I can't because I have all these trumpets here. And like, so it's the only reason he kept me around. Well, anyway, I was going to be a music educator. Grad- and uh, I, was, I was doing my student teaching at, at Broken Arrow, which is a, you know, a uh, nationally known uh, music program and a, a national grand national champion and uh, phenomenal music program. Uh, student teaching with Darren Davis, who is a phenomenal teacher. And I was going to go be a band director. And I had gone to a trumpet guild conference because there's actually conferences just for trumpet players. Weird, but there is. And the final night I was at this banquet and at the banquet uh, I, at the table were a bunch of my customers, people that just knew me through the internet and wanted to just, share a table with me which was i thought was great and they're all asking me like hey so what's new what what's what's the future for you and i'm like oh i'm gonna graduate and i'm gonna go be a band director like are you gonna still stay at tulsa band like nah i don't think so like i you know it's on to new things for me and i remember they all felt like you know you've been so successful there like you should see where this takes you and we had a management position open at at Tulsa Band, which remember that a management position at Tulsa Band just meant that you manage yourself and one other person. But I'm a very <laughs> difficult person to manage, so I knew that that was going to be a hard job. And uh, so, <laughs> so uh, that night I couldn't sleep, and the next morning I flew home. And, I, and when my wife, my wife picked me up from the airport, I told her, "I think I'm not going to go into teaching. I think I'm going to stay at Tulsa Band." And wow. she was like, "You're nuts! Like you just spent six years getting this degree." <laughs> You've got a great job lined up at Broke Marrow. Like we have 50,000, well, with her student loan debt, we had over $60,000 in student loan debt. She's like, this is nuts. And I'm like, 
I know, but like, I just, I need to see where it goes. And if it doesn't go anywhere, I can always go teach. Like there'll be another job open at Broken Arrow because there was another person that was scheduled to retire. Like I can get back in over there. I just need to see where this takes me. Yeah. And oh my gosh, Lucretia, that was such, uh, such an amazing, I, honestly, I don't think, had I not been at that conference, had I not been at that banquet, had I not been at that table, and had those people not had the interest and the care to speak up, I don't think I would have pursued this, and my life would have been totally different. It may have been better, it may have been worse, I don't know, but like I'm really happy with how it's turned out, and it just would not have happened if not for that. So That's being at, at what was then Tulsa Band, it's now Tulsa Guitar Company, you know, I was there for a few years, uh, and then I had the opportunity to go work for the for what was then called United Musical Instruments, uh, was later purchased by Selmer and became the Con Selmer Company. And I was a district sales manager for them. I uh, only did that for two years. One of the youngest sales reps to ever do that job. Um, wow. Was honestly not very good at it because this is now 99 and 2000. And this is the beginning of high speed internet. And I was working from home. And like, I just, and I was 26 years old. Like I didn't really know what professional sales meant. I'd only... My idea of sales was just enthusiasm and interest. I didn't know what it meant to, you know, go sell products that, you know, that you're not personally excited about. You're just doing it. But it was such a good experience because I got to learn about the manufacturing side of business. I got to learn about the wholesale side of business. I got to learn professional sales techniques, uh, which was very helpful. I also got to learn that, especially at 26, 27 years old, I was too young to be working without supervision and without any kind of like leadership. And I also learned that I honestly just didn't like working from home and working mostly alone. Like mm-hmm. I like being part of a team. And so when Selmer bought that, uh, it became really clear. So this is now 2001, it became really clear they were gonna merge the sales forces and I was the last guy hired. So I was gonna be the first one out the door. Um, and so I needed to find something else. And I was traveling about 120 nights a year working for them. 9-11 happened and my son was born within, my oldest son was born within 30 days of each other. And I remember thinking like, I need to find something where I'm home more. Like, I don't want to miss my kid growing up and yeah. everything else. And so I was looking for opportunities there. And one of my customers was Springfield Music in Springfield, Missouri. And that guy was looking for someone who could come in and be an, an educational sales rep. So basically a, a road rep for band programs. Uh, and that would that he he didn't have any kids or anything. He was in his mid fifties at that point, so he wanted someone that could help him grow his business and hopefully might buy it. And uh, I thought that sounded pretty appealing, and so I uh, convinced my wife to pull up our roots from Tulsa and have her leave her family and friends behind, that everyone that she knew, take our three month old kid and move up to Springfield, Missouri, uh, to take this new job. And wow. uh, again, another life changing event because um, that was a perfect partnership and there had been many people like me before me to go through this situation with this previous owner with uh, with the seller because especially at that point in his life he could just be a pretty caustic individual there he I, I love him and he loves me and he was very supportive of me and very encouraging but he could also be a real asshole at times and could be very 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 difficult to work for um, he was very demanding there's times he would just be rude and mean like i mean but ultimately 
I, I knew that I, his heart was in the right place and he supported me. And uh, so together we grew that business from a single location doing about a million dollars a year to, you know, now we, uh, we just purchased our, well, I, I own it now, but I've just purchased my sixth location. We'll probably do, I'm getting ready to purchase the seventh and um, you know, we'll do probably about $10 million in, in revenue. And That's that would have never happened without, you know, his belief and support, of me and again just kind of another fortunate turn of events that i even ended, ended up here you know so because so uh, my wife didn't thing. want to move up here oh i'm sure not yeah so when you started did you step in as their vp or like what role did you did you work up to that role no i was an ed rep um so i outside sales that's essentially what okay. i was doing um but it became really clear to everybody. So the owner at that point, he kind of wanted to be able to step away from the business more. So he wasn't there all the time. And the manager that was there at the time became kind of the manager by default. He actually was never even told he was the manager. It's just the previous manager left. The previous owner couldn't ever find a manager he wanted. So this guy just sort of became the manager. And so because of that, there was a real lack of leadership and with uh, the former owners kind of like I mentioned can be kind of bombastic, sometimes caustic personality. There just needed to be there just needed to be positive leadership and there needed to be someone that could take his visions and frustrations, mm -hmm. distill it and clean it up and remove some of the vitriol and then get it to the team in a way that was positive and productive. And so mm -hmm. I just kind of put myself, hey, let me let me you vent to me. And then I will get that to everyone else. And I wasn't really trying to be the next guy in charge, but it just came that way. Wow. And I think it became obvious to everyone because I had mentioned to the, the owner, I was like, hey, uh, next staff meeting you have, like, I need a couple of minutes to talk through some stuff. And he was like, okay, uh, we'll have a staff meeting on Friday. I'm like, all right, great. And so we get this, get there for this Friday morning meeting and, and the owner is like, all right, hey, thanks for, for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, all right. Uh, Donovan, it's all yours. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize I was running this meeting. I just had a couple of bullet points to share. So anyway, so I kind of took over from there uh, yeah. and then essentially became the GM almost immediately. I would say probably within a few months, took over as general manager, which was not a position that existed at that point. But there just needed to be someone between the owner and the store manager to kind of, you know, and also the owner, owner needed someone to tell him no. And um, sure, uh, yeah. he, he, he had a strong personality and most people were too afraid to tell him no, but I wasn't, you know, I was like, Hey man, like I need this job, but like, I'm also not going to just sit there and suck up to you. So yeah. I think this is a terrible idea and I'm going to tell you. And Good he for also you. respected that. Um, and then that led to becoming vice president and being an officer of the company. And that was mainly uh, for expediency and signing agreements and stuff, you know? Uh, so vendor agreements he didn't by that point he was retired um and he didn't want to have to come in to sign dealer paperwork and vendor paperwork and stuff so by making me an official officer then i could do more of that for him and then when he really was kind of stepping out i was like you know it'd be nice if i was if you made me the president it would better acknowledge my roles and responsibility in this company that i'm running this company but then I also had two other women that I was working with that I wanted to make VPs because like I wanted them to have a title that kind of 
it connoted like their importance to our company as well. Um, and so he, he was agreeable to that. Um, and so then I was president for several, many years. And then in 2020, September of 2020, bought the business from him, which at that time was called Springfield Music, uh, bought that from, from him. And so as of today, we're recording this December of 2023. I'm the president and owner and the company is now called Ernie Williamson Music. So uh, that's incredible. Yeah. So that's kind of how that whole came about. Yeah. And I think when you have someone who is like with that kind of personality type, if you go in where you're just like a bull and like bunting heads, you're not going to get anywhere. But when you go in with the respect and understanding this, like the psychology, it always comes down to me, like in a way, psychology, uh, this is how he works. And this is how we approach him. And we don't do it in a manipulative manner, but with respect. And we're working towards a common goal. So it's he and I against the problem. I think they're able through yeah. that stubbornness and orneriness to recognize like, oh, this one's coming to me with their heart and with respect and communication. And I think that yeah. opened the door for I totally agree with working. You. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think... I, my dad told me something once that I've always held on to, um, strangely enough, uh, which is too long of a story to get into now, but, but when my wife and I met, her parents absolutely hated me and forbid her to see me. And, um, so that kind of created a lot of drama and they, we dated for four years. And during that entire engagement, like I'd met her parents once and, uh, they were completely opposed to it. Um, then we got engaged and they were like, I, when I, uh, proposed to my wife, I kind of told her, so before you say yes, like, here's the deal. Like if your parents are still like not going to accept me, then like, you're going to have to basically cut off your parents. Cause like, this will just never work if we're married and they're still like shit talking me the whole time, you know? And, uh, but in exchange for that, if they do accept me, then I will forgive everything that's happened in the last four years. And so she said yes to that. And I remember uh, telling, talking to my dad, saying, I'm kind of worried about my end of this agreement here. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely harboring some resentment out towards them. And I yeah. told her that I would forgive, but I'm finding it very difficult to do. Um, and so my dad had great advice. He said, okay, here's what you do. Uh, find something about them that you can respect or admire and only focus on that. And I was like, well, that's really hard to do because I know almost nothing about them. You know, I don't know these people at all. I want what little I do know I don't like. But then I thought I remembered something. I remembered, you know, her parents grew up in like poverty and her her mother got pregnant when she was 16. And uh, and her her extended family is a lot like my extended family was like a lot of drug addiction, alcohol addiction, poverty, stuff like that. But her parents worked their asses off working two or three jobs to take care of her and her brother and to give her and her brother a solid middle-class life and her parents were very successful doing that and i remember thinking like you know what i respect the hell out of that like mm -hmm. when you grow up in a situation where like your siblings are doing drugs your friends are doing drugs everyone's up to no good like if you decide like screw all that like i've got an obligation here i've, I've created a life i'm gonna just work my ass off working two or three jobs and like we're gonna make ends meet and pull ourselves up like i respect that and so i focused on that and so with the previous owner uh with lee same boat i had a lot of respect for him um you know he he graduated high school uh really had no interest in school had no interest uh, in other education but was an entrepreneur and he'd been very successful in his business and had made a really good life for himself 
And I, I, I admired and respect that. And, um, and honestly, he had a lot of things, the things that would make him mad uh, in business were things that were fair to be, to want corrected. It's just mm-hmm. how he would handle it was bad. And so it just took a little bit of maturity on my part to say, you know, I don't appreciate that he called me and cussed me out, but it's fair that he's pissed that half of us, the, the lights are burnt out in the retail showroom, you know? <laughs> so it's fair that he's upset that it didn't doesn't look good. That's fair. Yeah. He didn't quite have to ring me out the way he did, but like, but that's fair. And, yeah. uh, and so I'd always try to, uh, after I could calm down, I'd pick the, the nugget out and mm-hmm. flush away the rest and handle that. And, um, and that created a good partnership, you know? So, and, and to this day, I mean, I just talked to him this morning and was catching him up on all the great things that we're doing. And, and he was just so encouraging and supportive. And I mean, I, it, we kind of have a father son relationship they never had kids. And so, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, my dad, I started here in 2002 and my dad died in 05. So over time, I think we just kind of had that relationship with one another. And yeah, so I love him dearly. And he did mellow out with age a little bit. <laughs> But it took him until his late 60s, I think, to kind of mellow out. <laughs> yeah, those stubborn ones, it takes, it's like, you know, water over a rock. It just takes a long time to kind of smooth out those rough edges, but they'll get there. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Decades and decades and decades. Yeah. Yes. That's it for today with Donovan. In our next episode, we continue our conversation and we talk about the most important partner you can pick, not only in business, but also in life. We get to find out how his wife plays an intricate role in his success and not just in business, but also his personal life. We've learned to be able to appreciate the other things about one another that make the relationship work. And, um, and, and what that has also meant is a certain amount of just tolerance. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, she's just not going to be me, you know, she's not going to be someone who's super interested in politics and religion and and uh philosophy and like that's just not gonna she's just not academic in that way she's not gonna find that super interesting and i'm also not gonna be the person that is gonna be a super great listener when it comes to just hearing about your day and stuff like that like that's just not who i am Mm -hmm. so let's not rely on each other for those things like let's we need friends and relationships outside of this to make that fulfill uh to fulfill us but let's recognize what we what we do bring to each other and appreciate that and celebrate that. Thank you so much for listening to journey to the rise. Please do give us a follow on your podcast app. So you have the latest episode downloaded. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can find our account at journey to the rise podcast. This episode was researched, produced and edited by girl boss productions. And please remember to be kind to yourself. When you're kind to you, it is easier to be kind to others because you can't hate yourself into a version you love. You are worth more than you think. I'm Lucretia, and you've been listening to Journey to the Rise.